Our speaker today is Nate Wilson, Pastor Chuck Wilson's son. All right, hello everyone. Um, so today, we're going to be in 2 Kings 5. And I uh, titled this sermon, Naaman Takes the Polar Bear Plunge. Uh, I wasn't going to have a title, but my dad was like begging me all week to have one. So this is what I chose. Um, and if you don't know what polar bear plunge is, it's basically when it's really cold out and you go to the beach and you just run in the water in freezing cold water. And um, Matt McLack would take us to do this in middle school all the time. So I was thinking of a, a story in my life where um, I took a plunge, you could say, or my friend took a plunge. And um, I think it ties in really well with uh, what I'm going to talk about. So there was this thing we used to do in middle school called ding-dong ditching. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's basically where you go ring a doorbell and then you just run away. And we used to think it was the best, but everyone's like, this is so stupid. Like, why'd you do that? But we would do it all the time and we had a blast doing it. So um, my one friend, uh, you guys may know him. He used to come in middle school. His name was Dylan. He lived in my neighborhood. And every like weekend, honestly, we would all my friends would go sleep over his house and be like, yo, let's go ding-dong ditching tonight. And we were all get so excited. And we we're like, all right, we're going to do it. And so I, we all plan on this Friday night around like 9 o'clock, we're going to go out. And we're, we start doing it. We're having a blast. And um, we always would end with this one house. We lived on the corner of the street in North Point. So if you lived in North Point, I would ding-dong ditch every weekend. So if you live there, I've probably rang your doorbell and ran away. But... Um, so we, we planned to do this one house in the corner because we knew, like, they, they gave us the best reaction. They would, like, call the police, and then uh, what they would do is um, they would, like, chase us, like, with flashlights in the middle of the night, and they had these two massive dogs that they would let out, and the dogs would chase us, we'd try and run away, and we thought it was so fun. So... We, they, across the street were woods, and our goal was, yo, if we can make it to the woods, we'll, we'll be safe, we'll be fine. There's a creek. If we can jump the creek, we know they won't go past the creek to get us. So, we would rotate turns. It was my turn to do it. So, I go up to the house, and I ring the doorbell, and I run away as fast as I can, and all my other friends are hiding, and I go hide with them, and we sit there and wait, and nobody answers the door, we know they're home, like we see the lights on in the kitchen, and we hear the dogs barking. So my other friend, Dylan, it was his turn, and he's like, guys, I'm just going to do it. Like, I've, they may not have heard it, they're probably watching TV or something. So he goes up to ring the doorbell, and just as he's about to ring it, this guy opens the door and he says, not this time. And we're like, we're like, whoa, what? We're, we're watching, and Dylan just sprints away, and the guy comes running after him. And so we have this massive head start because Dylan's at the door and we're hiding like yards away. So we start sprinting for the woods because we know that's our, our safe haven, our sanctuary. And this guy's chasing, chasing Dylan and the dogs are chasing him too. And we're sprinting. We're in the woods now. And uh, they, the, the wife has her flashlight and she's looking for us, like trying to see us in the woods. And we get to the creek and we're all jumping over it and we all make it. And Dylan, I don't know if... You guys know what I'm talking about, but he was not the most athletic kid uh, growing up. And so we got, he got to the creek, and 
there's like a cliff, it's higher ground, and then there's lower ground, so it's an easy jump, it really is. And he, he, he made it there, and, if, and at, at the creek, you should know, um, it starts shallow, and then it gets, it gets progressively deeper as you go out. So he's running, and he's about to make the jump, and like the dogs are like right on his tail, like they're going to get him if he doesn't make it. And he, he goes to jump, and as he jumps, he trips on a stick and face plants in the creek. And the dogs just jump in right on top of them. And we were, we were all like, what just happened? And being the great friends we were, we just ran away and left him, left him out the drive. And our plan was, once we make it past the creek, we'll just circle back to Dylan's house because we know the cops are going to be out. Like We won't be able to do it anymore. But if we make it to his house, we'll be fine. So what we do is we circle back to his house. We go in the back door. And we see Dylan at the front door just getting yelled at by his mom because they brought him to his house and they already, you know, told on him and got him in trouble. So we just ran up upstairs into his room and waited for him. And he comes up and he's wearing this plain, plain white t-shirt and he's got shorts and shoes on still and he's soaking wet. And you just see this red stream just down his whole shirt because when he face planted, he hit his nose on the rocks, and there was just blood, a huge bloody nose. It's all over his shirt, his shorts, and his socks, and shoes. And we're all like, dude, what happened? Like, we didn't see anything. Like, like, are you okay? And he doesn't say anything to us. He just, like, goes, takes a shower, changes his clothes, and then he goes in bed, doesn't say a word to us the whole night, just so mad at us. He hated us. And... That's my story of the polar bear plunge, and Naaman's is a little bit different. Uh, it's a little more graceful. Uh, definitely, he wanted to do this. Uh, wasn't um, because he wasn't athletic. Naaman wanted to plunge into this water. So I'm going to pick it up in Second Kings five, um, and we're going to read verses one through nineteen. So here we go. It says, "Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she na- she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, "If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy." Now Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go. The king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, He tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to come to me and have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. 
Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and went in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant of this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha, Elisha said. So, what we have here is really, Naaman's story is a picture of salvation for us. It's an Old Testament picture of what we can have when we respond to the gospel. And I'm going to break this down and we'll see how it is a picture of salvation ultimately for us. And so we're going to go back to uh, verse 1 and we're going to learn a little bit about who Naaman was and exactly what he was doing. So when I read 5.1 again, we see now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. So we learn six things just in this verse. First, Naaman's the commander of an army. He's a valiant soldier. He's highly regarded. And that the, the Lord gives him his victories. And there's a fifth thing, and this is interesting. He has a good relationship with his master, who is the king. And we know uh, Naaman is from Syria, so he's not from Israel. And it's interesting that he has a good relationship with the king because if you read the Old Testament, that's usually not the case when a commander of the army has a good relationship with the king. If you think of uh, David and Saul, uh, the, the song they used to sing, uh, Saul slain his thousands, David his ten thousands, that um, provoked Saul to jealousy to the point where he tried to kill David multiple times and he failed every single time, as we know. And even again with David and his uh, commander, Joab, Joab, uh, their great relationship, Joab kills David's son, Absalom, and uh, that really uh, upsets David, and their relationship was never that great also. And then there's the sixth thing we learn about Naaman, and it's that he had leprosy. Despite all these great things that he was, all these, um, these I would call great qualities, the commander of an army, he's a great soldier, uh, he has a great relationship with his master, but we learn about this one thing, that he has leprosy. And what leprosy means is essentially that it's a, it's a representation of sin. And uh, we know that from Matthew 8 and Leviticus 13, it talks about leprosy being an, uh, a representation of sin. So we know that Naaman has leprosy and it's because of a sin, but we don't know exactly what. And that's the first piece of salvation we see in this story is that leprosy represents sin. You may be asking, well, how is leprosy like sin exactly? Well, I broke it down basically. There's three, there's a ton of examples, ton of ways leprosy represents sin, but I broke it down to three. And the first thing how leprosy is like sin is one, it's deceptive. And we see that um, leprosy will start small, like a little scab on your skin and you won't even know. 
and then it'll just start flaring up. It's what it looks like. It's these like red blisters all over your body, red patches of skin, and it'll start as a small scab, and you don't you won't think anything of it, and then it'll flare up all over your body in days. And I have this picture that I asked Emily to see if I could use this because I think it is a good example. I don't know if you can see, but this is Emily from a few years ago. She has these red patches all over her skin, and it's like hives or something. But it's a good example of kind of what leprosy looks like. Is to give you a picture, not that she had it, but um, <laughs> she that that that's just a good example. Like that, just picture that when you think of leprosy. Um, so it start and just think it starts like a small scab and then it just turns into that within days. It's deceptive. And the same thing is with sin. Sin is deceptive. If you uh in Hebrews thirteen, uh Paul well, we don't know the author, but I think it's Paul. Um but he says uh sin is deceptive. And think about Adam and Eve in the garden, we get a description of the serpent who deceives them. What does he say? They call him crafty. And he questions God's commandments. Did God really say? He's really, temptation and sin, it's really deceptive. And it's deceptive in the sense that we, we could do something small, like what we think, telling like a little white lie or like cheating on a test, something like that. We think it's not really a big deal, but in reality it can have um, major consequences. And all sin has a major consequence in that it separates us from God, and I'll get into that later. But... I think there's also small sins we think that might not really be a big deal, but then they come back to haunt us. And I have an example of this. In my life, um, I remember I was, like, really good at lying to my parents. Um, and so there was this time I was at a high school party. This is, like, traumatizing for me. I was at a high school party. and uh, Not a party. I was at a dance. And... Um, Everybody, all my friends are going to this girl's house after. And I was like, my parents aren't going to let me go to a girl's house at night. So I told them, I was like, hey, well, I'll just use the name Dylan as the example again. I was like, hey, like after the dance, I'm going to go to my friend's Dil- Dylan's house and hang out there. And uh, they were like, okay, fine, whatever. And then I was at the dance and I, I was just like having a good time. And I just checked my phone and I had like two missed calls from my mom. And I was like, all right, I already know what this is. I'm not going to answer. And I checked my phone later again, and my mom texted me, call me now. And I was like, oh, crap. And then uh, one of my sisters at the dance, she was like, mom's calling me. Like, you need to call her back. Like, she, she wants to talk to you. And I was like, this is inevitable. I got to have this conversation. So I call her, and she's like, so we just ran into uh, Dylan's parents. And I was like, I was like oh, uh, perfect. Uh, what happened? Yeah, they said everybody's going to this girl's house after the uh, dance. Do you want to explain? I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> I was like, I'm in trouble, I know it. And she was like, after the dance, just come home and go to bed. Like, you're done, like, you're grounded, you're in trouble. And I was like, all right. And that was just a picture. Like, I thought that lie wouldn't be a big deal. And then it came back and uh, bit me in the butt. So, so yeah, so we see leprosy represents sin and we see one it's deceptive and now there's another thing how leprosy is also like sin in that it requires uh separation and exile um when people had leprosy they had to leave their town they they weren't allowed to live there anymore because people in the old testament thought it was so contagious that like if you touch this person you'll get it and Leviticus 13 sheds some light on this. Uh, Leviticus 13, verses 45 to 46, when it's talking about leprosy. 
Uh, it says, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside a camp. So we see leprosy requires separation. It requires exile. And we know that sin also separates us from God. Um, we, if we read Isaiah 59.2, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. And he's talking to Israel there, but the same applies to us. When we sin, we are eternally separated from God. So we see how leprosy now is also a picture of sin in that it's deceptive and it also separates. Leprosy separates us from others and sin separates us from God. Now we have the third and final thing. And during the Old Testament, leprosy was incurable. It was like a, a, like a, mo- a modern day, some cancers that aren't curable. That's basically what leprosy was. It was almost like a death sentence. Um, once you got it, you knew there was, you, it either went away or um, you'd have, you would just pray that God would cure you. And that's what you see. Um, obviously leprosy, like you can treat it now, but back then they couldn't. And we see that um, people, when they had it, they didn't even bother to see a physician. They just went straight to the high priest because they knew there's nothing that could be done for them. And it's the same with sin. Just as God in the Old Testament could only cure leprosy and now, I guess, cancer today, um, it's the same with sin. Um, only God can cure our sin. He can only cleanse us from our sin. And we read 1 John 1, 7. Uh, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. He cleanses us from all sin. So now we have the first piece of uh, the salvation picture here in First Kings 5, 2 Kings 5. Um, it's sin. It's leprosy. is the picture of sin. And that's what we have going on here. So Naaman recognizes that he has leprosy. And what is he trying to do? He tries to be cured of it. And so this, this uh, Jewish maid, one of his wife's servants, says, Hey, I know this prophet, Elisha. You should go see him. He can cure you of this. So he goes to see his king, his master of Syria. And he says, Hey, is it okay if I go see Elisha? I want to be uh, cured of my leprosy. And he says, Yeah, go ahead. Go see the king of Israel. And uh, go talk to him, and he can help you out. And here, take this letter with you. So he takes the letter, and he goes. And the king, he goes to see the king of Israel, and he says, Hey, I have leprosy. Can you heal, heal me? And when we see his response, he says, Hey, are you trying to pick a quarrel with me? And he rips his clothes. You know, like that might seem uncommon and weird, which it is. But uh, in the Old Testament, like every people did that all the time. I think David does it like every other verse. He just rips his clothes in anger. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, it's, it really wasn't an uncommon practice, uh, but it's weird for us, and obviously why. Um, so he goes and sees him, and he's like, I can't do this. And then Elisha hears about their encounter, and he says, Naaman, come to me. I can heal you. So Naaman goes to him, and this is where we'll pick up the story, verse 9. He says, um, it says, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to, to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. So here we go. Here we go. We have the next piece of the, the salvation picture. And this, this is equivalent, basically, to the gospel message. We see Elisha tells him how he can be healed, how he can be cleansed. He says, Go wash yourself and be clean. 
Elisha provides the cure for Naaman. He tells him what he can do to be healed. And it's the picture of the gospel message uh, for people today. And, well, you might be wondering, well, what exactly is the gospel message? Like, what, if we had to break it down at the most fundamental, I guess, basic form. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll read that, verses 1 to 4. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as first importance. And here it is, this is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So we see at the most basic form the gospel message is that. That Jesus lived, he was buried, and he resurrected. And that's equivalent to what Elisha is saying here. He says, he provides the cure, go wash and be clean. And now we, we we see what Naaman's response is. He says... But Naaman went away, in verse 11, 2 Kings 5.11, But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and went in a rage. So now we have Naaman's response. It... Uh, we see two things from Naaman's response. First, he's angry. He goes off in a rage. And he said, I thought. He's, I thought. I thought it'd be this way. So Naaman's idea of cleansing clearly differed from Elisha's. And we see right away that he wanted to be saved in one specific way, but Elisha had another way for him to be saved. And that elicited anger in his heart, elicited rage, as we see. And it, it, it causes him to storm off. And he had an idea of salvation in his own head, how he could be clean. I think we see that a lot today. We see people who have an idea of what it takes to go to heaven today, like what it takes to be, to be saved today. And I think uh, one of the most popular answers is, I'm a good person. That's one of the biggest things I think we hear people say today with how to get to heaven. And we know that's not true. We know it's through Jesus Christ, John 14, 6. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we know it's Jesus. But a really common answer is, I'm a good person. And I guarantee if you were to ask Chuck Harrison about his street evangelism, 90% of the answers he probably gets is, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. And I think it's our duty and our job to tell people, no, it's through Jesus Christ. And that's our way to heaven. And that's how we get to God, how we see God, is through Jesus Christ. But we see... We see another thing in Naaman's response when he hears that the cleansing has to be done by washing seven times in the Jordan. He, he goes off in a rage. So we see not only does he think salvation should be done a different way, but he also thinks that um, we also see that he has a pride issue because when it wasn't the way he wanted it, he stormed off and he was angry. And that's what we see. We see anger. We see uh, just frustration on his part. And it's pride. And what, what it really was is Naaman wanted to be healed of his leprosy, but he didn't want to go through the process of doing it. And I think we also see that a lot today. We, we, we see people who really, really, really want to go like to heaven, but they don't want to repent of their sins. They don't want to give up their sin. They don't want to change their lifestyle. And I think we see that a lot. Um, 
we see people who they they know that uh, to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. But what they'll what they'll do is they'll, they'll come up with different ways in their mind to justify the way they're living because they don't want to become obedient to the scriptures. Uh, they don't want to change their lifestyle. They don't want to give up the sin that they're living in. And it's a sad reality, but should we really be so surprised by Naaman's response to the gospel message? Is it really so shocking that he was angry, frustrated, and it was different from the way he thought he could get to heaven, that what we think how we should get to heaven is different from the way God, how God said it? No. Um, if we read 1 Corinthians 1, 18, um, Paul is talking about how human wisdom views the gospel. And he says, for the message of the cross, that is the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we clearly see right here that for people who maybe are not receptive to the gospel, it's just foolishness. And it makes sense. Like, just think about what we're telling people that Jesus resurrected. Somebody literally died and came back to life. It does sound a little foolish. But when we read in 1 Corinthians 1, 21, we go down a few verses. It says, God was well pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So even in human wisdom, as foolish as it sounds, it's God's way of saving us. And God's well pleased to save us through it. And, it's, and that's what it is. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we see here when Elijah says, go and be cleansed. It's a picture of the gospel message. And then we see Naaman's response. He storms off in anger. He doesn't like it. And that's okay. It makes sense because why? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, for those who don't believe. But to us, it's the power of God and he saves us through it. So now... Naaman storms off in a rage, and we're going to read verses 13 and 14 here. And it says, uh, 2 Kings 5, 13 and 14, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had commanded. So, we see here, Naaman, Naaman finally, his uh, attendants break through to his pride, and they say, hey, it's, he's not asking you to do that much. Like, they're saying, if he asked you to do some great thing, you would totally have done it. Why is it any different now? And so they finally break through to Naaman, and Naaman goes, and he does it. I think this is a side note, but I think it's a really important lesson. We see Naaman, he gets some counsel from his friends, and I think it's really important, I think when we see someone like Naaman who, you know, definitely, you know, has a real opportunity to be cleansed here, um, we, we, we could see that in our life, say, when um, a, a fellow Christian goes down maybe a path that, they go down a path of sin, and you see it happening, and you don't say anything. I think it's one of the saddest things you can do, really, honestly, to somebody, especially another believer, is just to let them go off in a life of sin and never say anything to them. Because what you're really doing is you're just robbing them of fellowship and you're not, you're not helping them in any way. And I think it's, it's the same for the gospel message. When we preach the gospel message to people, I think it, another, another saddest thing you can do is um, really is to not give it to people, especially people you love and you care about. And there was this quote that I saw, Mariah showed me it a few days ago. It was on Desiring God. And 
There is this uh, couple who came over from the uh, the Middle East. They were missionaries, and they came over and they were living here for a while. And they 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 didn't really have a great experience living in the United States. And there's a quote from the wife, and she says, "It's like there's a satanic lullaby playing here, and the Christians are asleep. It's like they don't care about the eternal state of others. And now I feel like I'm falling asleep. Please, let's go back." And they did. They went back to the Middle East because she, she felt the danger of uh, comfort, honestly. And she felt the danger. She saw instantly, right away, what the problem was. It's people not willing, maybe afraid. And it's an honest fear to be afraid to share the gospel. You know, we're afraid of how people will respond or how it will affect our relationship with them. Those are all honest and true feelings. But eventually, you're going to have to overcome those fears. And, the God, and, and preach the gospel, or not preach it, but just tell your friends about it, tell people you care about. And I have another quote here, I think it's really good, it's from this guy who's not even a Christian, but he was on, uh, what's it called, he was, on, um, he was uh, about to be executed, and he, he lived in Great Britain, and Joe Simon first showed this at youth group, but then I was reading a book and I saw it again, and I was like, this is a great quote. And he's not a Christian, but a priest came to him and, and gave him the gospel. And he's like, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And he says, well, I don't. He says, but if I did, I'd get down on my hands and knees and crawl all over Great Britain, even if it were paved with pieces of broken glass, if I could just rescue one person from what you told me. And it's so true. Um, I think I really do think if you really care enough for somebody, you will tell them the gospel because it's so important. Because really, it's their eternal state. It's their eternal, it's their, um, heaven and hell is for eternity. And I don't think you want to rob anybody of that eternity just because you were afraid or um, just something came up. And you felt, well, maybe there will be another time, but you just never know. Um, And yeah, so that was, that was just the little side thing I got out of that, from that piece of the verse. So now we're going to finish up with the last the absolute last part of the, the picture of salvation we have here. And that is Naaman's cure. He goes and he washes, he takes the plunge, he takes the pull-bear plunge, he dives in, and he is cleansed. And now we see he's saved. We see the picture of salvation. Just as his leprosy is healed, we can be healed of our sin through the cleansing of Jesus Christ, through faith in that. It's faith in Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And we'll, we'll read verses 15 to 19, and we see here, uh, picking up in verse 15, Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules could carry, for your servant will never again make a burnt offering and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. So, right when we see Naaman, what do we see when Naaman's saved? We automatically see a change of heart. We see he's completely, he's becoming obedient. And we see that with uh, two things right now. We see that he tries to give a gift to Elisha for what he did for him, for curing him of his leprosy. He wants to give back for what he received. And Elisha denies him, and it's pretty obvious why, because grace is uh, free. Uh, there's something we can do to earn it. And that's what we see here when Elisha denies the, the gifts. Uh, there's nothing, he couldn't purchase this cleansing, it was just given to him. 
And, that, and that's, uh, we see this really clearly in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, uh, where Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Um, I know my dad uses that verse all the time, but it's like the best verse for uh, free grace, so I'm going to use it too. <laughs> and then, uh, so then we see the second thing he does is he renounces his idolatry. He says he's no longer going to worship any other gods but the one true God, which is Elisha's God. And um, what we see is he, he has to take some dirt. This is also kind of weird. He just takes some dirt. And then uh, he's like, I'm going to bring this back to Syria with me. And he says, I'm going to build an altar to the Lord there. So he, that's what he means when he says I'm gonna, he takes the earth. That's why it's dirt. So he takes the dirt. He brings it. He, he's going to take it to Syria and he's going to build an altar there. So he already renounces his idolatry. I think this is really important because we emphasize uh, free grace all the time. And that's literally the most important thing of the gospel. But we need to emphasize too that it's also just the beginning. It's just the beginning of a new life. We know Second Corinthians, uh, if you have been saved, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Um, we see that, and that's what we see with Naaman right here is he's new. He's brand new. He's been healed. He's a new creation. And just when we uh, have faith in Jesus Christ and become a Christian, we are made new. The old is gone. The new has come. And it goes from, and from our faith, uh, we should have obedience should follow. It's a process of sanctification. It's never immediate, obviously. But uh, Romans 1.5 uh, talks about this a little bit, and I think it's really good. It says, Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So we see right away, uh, there's an obedience that comes out of faith, and that's what we see in Naaman's life. It's obedience to the scriptures, and like remember what we're talking about people in pride they don't want to give up their sinful life and that's as christians it's honestly a freedom to give up our sins it's a freedom to finally conquer them and that's what we see we see the obedience and we see that in naaman's life and that's the picture of salvation we have here in second kings five is we see leprosy is the sin elisha gives the gospel message how to be cleansed and then we see naaman actually taking the plunge doing it and being cleansed and then we see when Elisha denies the gift, uh, uh, Naaman wants to give him all this money. Elisha says, no, 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 I'm not taking that. And we see that it's a free gift of grace. And it's the start of a new life. It's the start of a new beginning. So I'm going to pray. And the worship team will come up. So, God, I thank you for the opportunity um, to gather together today uh, on this Sunday morning. And I thank you for all these, uh, the, the, the wonderful stories you give us in the Old Testament that are pictures of salvation and your free grace, the grace that you give us. Um, because without you, none of us would be here and we'd be lost and in our sins. But you provided a way to save us and we thank you for that and we thank God for that. And I pray that if you have not taken that step, that, that step of faith where you, you believe on the name, you call the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have faith in that, I pray that you see, you talk to somebody, maybe a friend you know who is a Christian or is here today, and you talk with them and just ask them more, ask more questions. And God, I also thank you for the Christians here today that 
you've given us a wonderful gift to proclaim your message, to proclaim the gospel. You've, you've made us the means to spread your message throughout all the world, and you don't need us. We know that, but you've given us the gift to do it. We know you don't need us because in numbers you use a talking donkey, and uh, I'm sure more people would believe a talking donkey than humans. But you still, you use us, and we thank you for that, that you've, you've included us in the overall plans of the world. And we just thank you again for the grace that you give us and the opportunity that we can have communion and fellowship with your son. Amen.